Well, amen. Take your Bible. Let's go to Exodus chapter 5 this morning. Exodus chapter 5. For the last two days, um, Jane and I and Weston, we were down in Anaheim, and then we moved her sister um, and her brother-in-law out of an apartment in Anaheim and moved them to uh, Burbank. And uh, could I just tell you, it's hard moving out of an apartment. It's, uh, it's really, really a lot of work um, because the elevator is about 200 yards away from the apartment and the elevator that you go down is about another 100 yards away from the truck. So you got to go get the stuff, take it to the elevator, go down, go there, up and down. And um, it was crazy. And then do it all over again on Saturday in another apartment building. So anyways, we're glad to be back and we're a little sore, you know, a little sore because we were doing stuff that we don't normally do. Hey, take your Bible. Let's read together. Starting at Exodus chapter 5, let's stand together and let's just get a little bit of context for our message this morning. Um, Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse number 1, and uh, we're going to read portions of chapter 5 together, so hang with me. I'll tell you where I'm going to skip, all right? Are you ready? Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. Amen? I love that. So that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Go get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are numerous and you are stopping them from working. So that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers, the foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to their lives. Skip down now to verse number 15. Then the Israelites foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet, you were, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. This is what you keep saying. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. Lord God, thank you for your word. Speak to us today. We need to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was was pastoring in Maryland, I lived close to 
the White House. How many of you have been to the White House? There's a few of you in the room that have gone to the White House. And um, after pastoring there near um, Washington, D.C. for 17 years, anybody, anytime would come to town and visit with Jane and I, they would always ask us to take them to Washington, D.C. So I got really familiar with Washington, D.C. I could give you a tour of the entire city in about 12 hours. I'll take you from spot to 12 hours, maybe less. Well, it would be, you know, 12 hours would be like a full thing, but I could do it in six, you know. I mean, I could do all of them. But uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And one of the places that every time somebody would come to uh, Washington, D.C., one of the things they would want to see is they would want to see the White House. The White House was a place that everybody wanted to see, you know. And I have discovered after living there that over the years, it got more and more difficult to see the White House, by the way. They, they put up a fence, and then they put up another fence, and then they put up another fence. And so you were further and further away from the, from the, from the White House. You couldn't drive up close to it like you used to be able to. So a lot of things had changed. But I tell you about the White House because whenever you hear... Um, a government official say things like, the White House says, you interpret that to mean that the president says. The White House speaks for the president. There was a, there was a whitehouse.gov website that has all of the information about the presidency. There is a White House press secretary that gives a press briefing to the press every single week. And so that word White House is something that we equate with power. We equate with uh, the, the, the seat of political power here in the United States. Well, in the book of Exodus, we have a, a phrase that is, that is something that we're probably not used to. It's Pharaoh. The word Pharaoh is not a person. It's a title. And it literally means great house. That's what it means. It means great house. The great house is speaking. And whoever was the king of Egypt in that time, it would mean that, that just like we would say the White House is speaking, the Pharaoh would be the great house is speaking. And we find here in the book of Exodus chapter 5 that there is a, there is a all of a sudden there is a, there is a, um, there is a, a war that is going to happen or a, a, a fight that's going to happen between good and evil. Between the principalities of darkness and the principalities of, of, of what is right and true and holy. And so we find here in Exodus chapter 5 and 6 these two things. Now, right before we look at chapter 5, the scripture tells us in the end of chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, it says this. Moses and Aaron brought all together all the elders of Israelites, of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. If you remember back to last week's message, we looked at, you know, God meeting Moses at the burning bush. Remember that? He said, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. And God begins to speak to Moses and begins to call him to be the one that was going to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and out of bondage. And you remember all the excuses that, that Moses came up with. It's the great excuse passage of the scripture. He comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And finally, ultimately, he says, listen, I'm not relenting. I'm calling you to do this. And he eventually says, I'm going to give you Aaron. 
And Aaron and Moses then go to the Israelites. Remember, he's, in, he's, in, he's at Mount Horeb in the desert. He travels with Aaron all the way back to Egypt. He goes to the Israelites that he has been left for many, many years. And he brings together all the elders. That would mean all the leaders of the Israelites who are in bondage. He brings them to them and he tells them everything the Lord says to them. And he also performs signs before the people that they believe. Remember the signs? He takes a staff, throws it in the ground. It becomes a snake. He picks it up, takes his hand, sticks it in, pulls it out. You know, it turns into leprosy, puts it back in, and it's now healed. He says, look at the power of God. And so the, it says, when after he says, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery... And why did God speak to Mo Moses? Why did God come? Because the people were crying out. This is a terrible situation. We are in bondage. We are being treated terribly. Please come and help us. Please come and rescue us. The scripture says, then the Israelites bowed down and worshiped. So this is where we find this. This is like, you know, the people saying, finally, God has heard our prayers. And he's now going to work on our behalf. He's now going to act on our behalf. He's now going to do something that we've been looking forward to for many, many days. Moses and Aaron are filled with faith at this point. They're excited. They're, they're filled with courage. Remember all the excuses he made that they couldn't do? He couldn't speak? Well, all of a sudden now, they have the courage and the strength to go and face Pharaoh. The great house, the seat of power, and he's going to speak to them. And this is what I call the great showdown. It's the great showdown. It really is the beginning of a great showdown because now from now to all the way through chapter 12 or 13 in Exodus, there is this tug of war between God and Pharaoh, between the great house and the power of God. Who's mightier? Who's stronger? Who's going to win this war? And we're going to see the plagues that are going to come. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a long, drawn-out affair. God could have just wiped them off the earth, you know. But he begins the process of showing his unrelenting power. And the scripture says here in verse number one that, the, that Moses afterwards, notice this word afterwards, after what? After they spoke to the Israelites, after they had convinced the Israelites to believe, and after they worshiped the Lord, after they believed that God was going to deliver them. Moses and Aaron went to the great house. They went to the great house and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go. It kind of reminds me of when Reagan stood before the wall and said, Gorbachev, knock this wall down between East Berlin and West Berlin. You know, it was a declaration of, of authority that was coming from a power greater than themselves that God was going to do something. He says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival in the desert for me. And what do we have here? We have, we have for the first time, Pharaoh is confronted. He is confronted by God himself through a spokesman named Moses and Aaron. And here's what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said, 
Who is the Lord? I mean, who, who is this God that you talk about? Like, really? You're going to come down here to the great house and you're going to be little Moses and little Aaron and you're going to say, you know, that, that God's going to, you know, God says, let, let these people go. This is my economic engine here in my nation. This, these people are producing for me great cities and great products. They are building my economy. They are making me look good. In the poles of the Egyptians, I am looking great. Who is the Lord, he says, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, I want you to catch a couple things here. First of all, this idea of who is the Lord is really the theme of the book of Exodus. It's in the book of Exodus that God begins to reveal who he is, what his power is. Last week we saw the holiness of God as God was consuming a bush and told him don't come any closer because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. We saw that God said, I am that I am is here. In other words, I am the one who has existed for all time. I have no beginning and no end. I am the center of all the universe. And here in chapter 5 and 6, we're going to discover this idea of God being almighty. And so God is revealing himself to not only the nation of Israel, but he's also revealing himself to the known world at that time of Egypt. Who is the Lord. And my friends, there are people still today who are asking that question. Who is this God that you serve? Who is this God that you go and worship every Sunday on a Sunday morning? Who is this God that you are, that you, that you pay your tithes and offerings and you serve and that you do all of these incredible things for? Who is this God? Because I don't know him. And there's so many people who are ignorant of who God is. Your job is to tell them who God is. Amen? To demonstrate who God is. Because Pharaoh, the great house, he had no idea who God was. He lived, he was a spiritual man. He lived in a spiritual world. He thought that, the Pharaoh thought that he would be a God himself someday. That's why they built those pyramids. And they built those pyramids and put all the stuff inside the pyramids because they thought they were going to live for eternity as a deity. So who is this Lord? And so he's saying really three things. Who is the Lord to tell me what to do? Notice it says, it says there that I should obey him. I mean, so he is, not only does he not know God, he is resisting God. He is rebellious towards God. And by the way, there are a lot of people today who stand rebellious towards God. One of the characteristics of unbelief is rebellion. When you don't believe God, you are rebelling against God. Even as God reveals himself to us and shows himself to us, when somebody does not receive it by faith and submit to him, they are rebelling towards him. And they want to do their own way. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him or obey him? Who is this God you tell me about? And so God is, is, is beginning to speak. Now, Pharaoh is going to come to learn who God is. Okay? 
in the next coming chapters in this dramatic story, God is going to make it absolutely clear who he is. Okay, he's going he's to show up in a big way. Today, my friends, we live in a world that we can know who God is because Christ has become flesh for us. He has lived amongst us. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. He is, as the Hebrew writer says, the exact representation of God himself. He was God in human flesh. And so we can know the Lord. I love what the response of, of Aaron and, and Moses. I mean, they're bold here. These guys are bold. Just a chapter before, they had no faith. They were given all excuses in the world why they shouldn't speak for God. But then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Catch that. He has not only spoken to us, he has met with us. He has met with us. You see, when you're a witness, you are giving testimony of what God has done in your life, and you are communicating that testimony to others. Moses and Aaron is doing nothing more than testifying to the God who met with him, them, and spoke to them. And this was a really telling to He says, now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, and he may, or he may strike us with plagues or with swords. In other words, God says, says Pharaoh, it would be a good idea for you to let us go just have a three-day vacation. Notice he doesn't say leave the country forever here. Notice he's not saying I'm going to take the whole workforce and we're just going to go away and we're just going to go to another country somewhere. He says, let me just go take a three-day vacation. Let me have a retreat. Let's go, let us go worship the Lord. And if you, by the way, if you don't let us do this, it may come back to bite you. You know, God is faithful and his will will be done. And so, I want you to see that this morning. The second thing I want you to see is that sometimes obedience to God can lead to life getting worse. Isn't that encouraging this morning? Obedience to God can actually lead to your life getting worse. Now, most preachers won't tell you that, okay? But if you read the scripture, it's pretty clear. That there are times in your life when you're walking with the Lord that it seems like life is not getting better, but life is getting worse. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Because as a result of Aaron and Moses going with courage to stand before the great house and say, let my people go, God's going to have his way, let us go. And the, the Pharaoh responded and said, I don't know who your God is and I don't care who your God is and I'm not going to listen to your God. I'm going to do my own thing. His response is, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? He's only, he's only concerned about the human He's only concerned about his pocketbook. He's only concerned about his, his uh, economy. He says, get back to work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people on the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. You see, he missed the whole point. He missed the whole point. But in his eyes, the only thing that mattered 
was that those people keep working, they 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 keep working. Why? Because it was his cash cow. And then Moses and Aaron, they respond and they say this. That same day, or he goes on to say, he gives this. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Now catch this. They've been building these bricks, but they've been, the supply chain had been bringing the supplies to them to make the bricks. Now he says, I'm going to require them to go get the straw themselves, but they must continue to produce the same amount of bricks every day. Their quota is going to stay high, but their job is going to be harder and longer than ever. Can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever worked for a company where, you know, all of a sudden they had a layoff. And they laid off a bunch of employees and then those who were left said, by the way, you're going to take care of everybody else's job now. And you're going to keep doing your job. Okay? It's exactly what was happening here. I'm going to make you work harder. Why? Because he believed that the only reason Moses and Aaron were coming to him and saying, let my people go, is because they wanted to get them out of work. He was all focused on work. He said, they are lazy, and that is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working. And catch this, pay no attention to the lies. What, were they, what was Pharaoh considering the lies? The lies were, there's no such thing as a God there's no such thing as the God of the Hebrews. God never did speak to Moses and Aaron. You have, you have re-engineered or reimagined some story to get the people out of working. So I'm going to make them work harder so they don't listen to you. By the way, it did work. Because they turned on Moses and Aaron and turned on God. Which, by the way, is a repeated theme throughout the entire journey of the exodus of the Israelites out of bondage, out into the, to the desert or the, or the wilderness, where they cried out at times, I want to go back to Egypt. Like, really? But here's where it started. The showdown started. Now... I say all that because sometimes if you ever heard the phrase out of the frying pan and into the fire, you ever heard that phrase? Out of the frying pan and into the fire. It's from, by the way, it's from the, a, a wonderful story called The Hobbit. There's a chapter called, called uh, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. And uh, it's a great story. And there are times in your life where, where you're going to feel like you are suffering more because you're obeying God than you're not. When you obey God, sometimes it leads. Let me give you a few scenarios. Maybe you're a young Christian kid in a high school who's seeking to follow Jesus. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Have you, have, you have some peers tempting you to follow their sinful lifestyles. They begin to label you as a holy roller, a geek, or a weird kid, or a church kid, or whatever. They begin to mock you because you're going to follow God's will. 
This was Kevin Hardy when I was a teenager. My brother was a Christian. We went to the same high school. We were in the same class together. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. I was yet to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I found great joy making fun of him. Why? Why was I so opposed to him following the Lord? Why did it matter that he wanted to carry a Bible? Why did it matter that he went to church? Why did it matter? But it mattered to me to put him down. It mattered to me to persecute him, to find fault in him. And he continued to live in that tough place of remaining true to God. Or maybe you're a single lady who desires to be married but you have a certain standard for a husband based on scripture. Have others, um, you, you've had others try to get you to lower your standards, or to go out with some guy who might be wealthy or attractive, but they are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you have kept the standard. You say, no, I am not going to date an unbeliever. My faith is too important to me and I'm not going to end up in an unequally yoked situation. Therefore, I choose to remain single than to give up my standards for the Lord. Could I just tell you? That's hard. That's hard. And there are so many men and women who have lowered their, their standards because obeying Jesus when you're single is not easy. Or how about this one? You have been, you've been an employee that is known about someone breaking the company policy or even the law. And you feel led by God to speak up. And when you speak up, things start to get worse in your life because you're known as the niche. You're known as the whistleblower. And soon you find yourself being persecuted by your fellow employees. Or how about this one? You're an adoptive couple and you are adopting children. You can't have children yourself. And you feel led of God to step up and adopt a child who maybe is a child that is born in a difficult situation. Maybe they had a biological mom that was addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever. And you just feel like, wow, God, this is such a wonderful thing. You, you go through the long process of, of adopting a child. And then years later, as you begin to raise them, you discover they have obedience issues. They have, they have challenges in their life that make your life difficult and hard. And you say, God, I don't know if I should have signed up for this. Maybe this wasn't your will or plan. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or how about this one? God's called you to be a pastor of a church. He called you to go to a church and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But when you got there, you found a group of people who didn't like you. It happens. And for whatever reason, they begin to talk. They begin to leave. And soon you find yourself. You felt God, the Holy Spirit, had led you here, has to be the one that would do it. And all of a sudden, life is difficult. And it's not easy pastoring that church, especially with all the opposition. Or let me just give you one more scenario. God's called you to be a missionary. And you're called to go to a foreign land to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You do all the studying and preparing. You even sell all of your material possessions 
so that you can be debt free, so that you could go uninhibited, to go to the mission field, to the world that is unknown, to a foreign land, and to start the church of Jesus Christ. And while you're there, your wife gets a disease from that country and ends up dying. Do you see what I'm talking about? Obedience is not always easy. It's not always easy. God calls you, for example, to tithe, to give the first portion of your income to the Lord. And you look at the inflation and you say, God, how can this be possible? I don't think it's possible, God. I think I'm just going to give a little bit of a tip now to God. And soon it becomes harder and harder to serve the Lord. Obedience is not always easy. Actually, God never promised a pain-free life. He never promised you that everything would just go so great because you knelt and prayed. God says you will be persecuted. You will struggle. You will have a hard time. But here's the difference. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Amen. I will be with you. So what do you do? What do you do when that happens? What do you do when the Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble and they told him, you're not to reduce the number of bricks required of each day. Notice it says the Israelite foreman. So, so here's how the waters go. The great house makes a presidential order. The presidential order goes down to the cabinet. The cabinet then goes down to the local people. And the local people have to carry out the orders of the guy at the top. And the guy at the top said, don't give them any more straw. Make them make the bricks and get their own bricks and require them to continue to work. And the Israelite foremen have to make their own people carry out what is an order that they don't think is fair. So what do they do? they actually go to Pharaoh and say, hey, this isn't fair. Time out. And when, the, when they left the Pharaoh and they realized he wasn't going to change his mind, they found Moses and Aaron waiting for them. Can you imagine that? You know, they go up to the great house. They leave the great house and they walk down out. And who's standing there but Moses and Aaron who said everything was going to be great and God was going to take care of everything. He says, and they say to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. By the way, you're going to discover in next week's message that this stench gets pretty bad. So bad that he act, the Pharaoh actually says, get them out of here. He sets them free. But they are struggling with that. So what do you do when things are hard? Well, I'm so glad chapter six tells us. Because in chapter six, the Bible tells us that Moses, I'm gonna skip that just for the sake of time. It says, stand on the promises of God. Now, I want you to catch three promises that God gives to the nation of Israel. He says, first of all, God is in control. God is in control. Hang on. 
when you find yourself going through difficult circumstances, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to obey God, you're following the Lord, you're going, God, I'm discouraged about the circumstances that I find myself in. I look at my finances, I look at my marriage, I look at my home, I look at my job, I look at my health, whatever it might be, that you find yourself trusting God and trying to obey God, but it's not quite working the way you want it to work. What do you do? You have to go back and listen and claim the promises of God. And God said to them, I, while you're waiting for me to set you free, I need you to put your hope in me, not in yourself. And definitely not in Pharaoh, the great house. Notice what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand. And this is, remember I told you about God Almighty? This phrase, my mighty hand, is literally, is, it literally is El Shaddai, God Almighty. My mighty hand will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. God says, I got this, Moses. Remember, Moses goes back to God and said, well, well, God, I did what you were supposed to do. I went to the Pharaoh. I told him to let the people go. He didn't listen. He actually made it harder on the people. And, and it looks like to me that things have gotten worse than getting better. What's up, God? And God says, hang on, Moses. Hang on. Hang on. Because I'm in charge and I will do to Pharaoh like he's never even imagined. In other words, I'm going to show who, who I am. I am the Lord Almighty and I'm going to use my mighty hand to actually reveal myself and show him that I am all powerful. But you have to trust me. God is in control. The second thing is, God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. He says there in verses number two and five, he says, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name of the Lord I, will, I, I did not make known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they would live for, as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. God, wherever you find that God made a promise in the past, he will keep it in the future. And God told the nation of Israel, he said, Abraham, I, I'm going I'm to have a covenant with you. And what is a covenant? A covenant is a godly contract where God is the initiator of it. And he says, I am making a promise to you. And I am a promise keeper. Here's what I've discovered in my life. When I walk through difficult, discouraging times, here's what I will ask God for. God, give me a word of promise that I can claim for my situation. And there are over 700 promises in God's word. You want the Holy Spirit to speak to you through his holy word, a word that you can hang on to. Amen? And you pray it. You claim it. 
You depend upon it. Until the situation changes, you just hang on to that word. Why? Because God says, I am a promise keeper and I will keep my word. And you can count on it. I am not like the politicians who say one thing to get elected and then do another. I am not like the, the, the great house or the white house or any other house. I am a God of integrity, a God of power, a God who is almighty, a God who is holy. And you can trust me. Amen. And then he says, God will save and deliver you. God will save and deliver you. If you take your Bibles and you look at verses number six through eight, there are five times in those two verses, God says these two words, I will, I will, I will. In other words, God says, hang on, the future's coming. I will. And notice some of the things he says there. He says, I will bring you out. He says, I will free you. He says, I will redeem you. He says, I will take you as my own people. He says, I will be your God. He says, I am the Lord your God and I will bring you into the land and I will give you possession of it. That's a word of hope, a word of courage, a word of strength. Now, you could call your pastor up and you could say, pastor, here's what I'm doing. This is what's going on, help me. And I may not have the power to change your situation, your circumstances, but I could point you to the one who does. Amen? The one who does. And depend upon his hope and his strength. You could do one of two things with that, by the way. The question is, will you believe when you are discouraged? Because that's exactly what the nation of Israel was. They were discouraged. Look at this. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their what? Discouragement and their cruel bondage. Now, before you beat up on them too badly, put yourself in their shoes. They've been enslaved for over 400 years. They've got this new pharaoh, this new great house that's come to power. They've heard from Moses and Aaron about how God met with them. Pharaoh and um, Moses and Aaron go and speak to the people to go to speak to the great house. And guess what happens? It gets worse. They are working harder and longer than they've ever done before. It is misery. It is hot. It's Egypt, folks. It's labor intensive. And the Pharaoh's just saying, those lazy, lazy people, those lazy, lazy people, how do you like it when you're working really hard in your job and somebody says to you, you're lazy? You feel kind of ticked off at them, don't you? But they didn't get ticked off at the Pharaoh. They actually turned on Moses and Aaron. And they said, it didn't work out so well here. And they were discouraged. And then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. Now Moses is discouraged. 
the guy in chapter 5 that was so bold, let my people go, goes and does what he thought he couldn't do. It doesn't turn out well. The people turn on him. And then God has the audacity to say to Moses again, well, go back to Pharaoh. Go back to Pharaoh and tell him, don't let the people go for a three-day vacation in the desert to worship, but let them leave the country. And what does Moses say? If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? We're back to some excuses again. Can you see yourself in the story? The Exodus is your story, your journey, where we go up with God and everything's great and then we're down. Up and down, up and down. We find here that Moses is down again. Lacking courage, lacking faith, lacking trust, looking at himself and what he can't do instead of looking at God who is almighty and what he can do. So what does God have to do again? He has to re-encourage Moses all over again to do what God wants him to do. And you might be in the same place today. Worship team's gonna come. And as we conclude this service, here's what I would ask you. Are you discouraged today? Are you discouraged today? Do you find yourself without the ability and the power to really continue to do what God's called you to do because your circumstances have gotten worse instead of better? Maybe as we sing together this morning, I want to offer you a place to pray again where you just come and just surrender yourself, your circumstances, whatever it might be, to the Lord and say, God, I want to put my hope in you and hang on until the promise comes to be a reality in my life today. Amen. The altars is a great place to do that and a great place for you to just seek the Lord. Would you stand with me as we prepare to sing? God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us, oh God, for helping us to see that you are able to do things that we could never imagine, Lord. And sometimes as we're in the in-between times, we need your strength to keep going. So I pray for those who are discouraged today. Help them to seek you, Lord. Help them not to run from you. I pray that you would help them. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing together, if you'd like to pray, please come.